Welcome to Chinuch Today. I am your host, Rabbi Yerachmiel Garfield. Please join me as we highlight innovative ideas and inspiring people from the world of Chinuch. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chinuch Today podcast. This is Yerachmiel Garfield and today we are going to meet Mrs. Tamar Nussbaum. There is so much to learn about Mrs. Nussbaum and her journey Spent a little more time than usual on the first half getting to her project, but I found it to be fascinating because here is a caring mother, a previous teacher who taught in different schools, both more yeshiva-oriented and more modern, in town, a little bit of out of town, and you get to hear the perspective of someone who really wants to make a difference, who's thinking about her family, who's thinking about the reality of teaching in different environments, and has something to give and to share with Kalah Yisrael. And it's really amazing to hear her journey, starting from right out of seminary and being thrown in a classroom, to now developing this curriculum on her own, going out on her own, both financially and operationally, and developing a curriculum about tefillah because it's meaningful to her, she feels passionate about it, and she feels she has something to say and to give to Kalah Yisrael. And that is a theme that keeps coming up again and again in our podcast, which is identifying people who have a passion and an idea and a little bit of chutzpah to jump out and do it and to make a difference for the Jewish children through these programming. So I am so happy to be able to present to you both Mrs. Nussbaum and her journey, as well as the remarkable tefillah program that she has developed. A word about tefillah, we are now in a war in Eretz Yisrael, and one of the primary things that we're able to do here in America, besides sending equipment and raising money and possibly sending letters, one of the things that we could do that's meaningful is to be mispal, to daven. In fact, Torah Masora has put out a few times already that the children should get together and daven. And this forces us as mechanchim to think about how are we making tefillah more meaningful. I was talking to a manal recently about how challenging it is to deal with davening, especially in the teenage years of a high school where the expectation is that all the boys come to davening, and how so many kids struggle with it. It's not surprising. Teenagers have a hard time getting up early in general, and certainly an activity such as davening, which takes some of the greatest focus, awareness, knowledge of the, of the words and of their meaning, and a deep and true relationship with Hashem that how could a 15, 16-year-old have developed? And all of that has to come together to make a successful davening. So it's really hard. And I think we're sometimes guilty of almost weaponizing the experience to the point that when children get older and they're free from our clutches and they are not being forced to go to davening, our goal should be that then they go to davening. That when times are difficult for them or as an adult and they experience life, that they have such a good and meaningful experience of davening at a young age that they value that part of their life and not see it as a burden or a negative association. I think our schools and our community has come a long way with this. And Baruch Hashem, we see more and more shuls opening that focus on the tefillah experience, bring shiurim in, and do other things to enhance the davening. And so this is really what Mrs. Nussbaum is focused on, giving our children the tools and the knowledge and the context to see tefillah for the beautiful thing that it is. And I will say that just meeting Mrs. Nussbaum and hearing her talk with such conviction about the beauty of davening itself is an inspiration to me and helped me appreciate and continue to try to learn more and open new vistas of my experience with tefillah. And I hope your listening to this has a similar impact. Here is Mrs. Nussbaum. Welcome to another episode of Chilak Today. We are thrilled to have a very timely discussion with Mrs. Tamara Nussbaum, the founder and director of Ani Tfila. This is a program talking about Tfila and connecting her kids to Tfila. What an important time. The kids are spending so much time thinking about Tfila. We all are, and therefore we need to know how to be mechanic our kids in this way. Mrs. Nussbaum, welcome to Chinook Today. Good to be here. Thank you. So where are you right now? Where are you broadcasting from? Oh, I live in Farakaway, New York. Wonderful, wonderful. And I assume... Someone who develops such a curriculum is not a stranger to chinuch and to teaching. So tell me, how did your chinuch career begin? My family was always involved with cloud work. So it's not, even though my father was a balabas, um, he started Darche Torah in Farakaway. Wow. 
He was the founder. My brother was born after three girls, and my father said he wanted more of a cheder type yeshiva in Farakaway. There was no yeshiva here. So there was always, I grew up with a dedication to chinach, to excellent chinach. My great, great, great grandfather, Reb Pinchas Aaron Bruder, came to America from Europe as a shochet in the late 1800s. And his daughter, Sertel Weberman, said that she missed her parents too much. So she came over with her husband, Reb Moshe, and gave birth to my great-grandmother here in America. They stood up for Yiddishkeit. My great-grandmother, who was Kayla, she had five children. She was born in the early 1900s. No one's exactly sure which which year, but okay. We know we're getting the, we're getting the picture where, where America, Torah in America was just, it was a desert. It was right. a real desert, and you had to stand up for Yiddishkeit and for Shabbos. So that's what they did. My great-grandmother had five children. Every single one was Shomer Shabbos, Baruch wow. Hashem. Um, there's a story about my great-grandfather. He had a delicatessen, and if I remember the story correctly, like a son came in with, a father and son came in for a sandwich, and the father gets up to get a cup of water, for his son and my great grandfather went over and poured out the water and said, in my store, the son gets up for the father. The father doesn't get up for the son. That's quite unusual to hear even for today. Wow. You know? wow. But the idea that really the idea is, is that, um, and my grandfather from my mother's side, Rabbi Yitzchak Friedman, he was born in America and his mother sent him to Europe to Mir to learn. He was there for about six years. And, um, there was always a very strong emphasis from the history in my family and from within my actual family on chinach, on, on giving over unadulterated, not watered down, unfiltered, real, authentic Torah and chinach. That was, that's my atmosphere. But what brought me into teaching was I, I can't even, I don't know. I, I was a, uh, I came back from seminary and Mrs. Hyman Nadav. Um, remembered me as a vice president from GEO when I was at elementary school. And she was the principal then. And she remembered thinking, you know, I think that Tamara will be an excellent teacher. So she offered me a job when I came back to teach second grade in town. So, Any training or you just jumped right in? I jumped right in. No such thing as training. It's certainly not 30, 40 years. No. Right. Yeah, no. No. <laughs> no, no. Okay. And how did that go? It was phenomenal. I was like a fish in water. I was able to give over Torah with enthusiasm, with passion, with excitement. I could sing, I could dance, I could jump, I could run. <laughs> and the kids got very into it. And it was an absolute, it was just something that the thrill of being in a classroom and being over to impact the children and see the smiles on their faces and the aha moments that they had was something that just totally energized me and, and I found out that I'm very passionate about. Yeah, I mean, I think now we're discussing how to get more Moras to consider teaching. And it sounds like you just needed a little experience with it to to light that passion and, and make you see that it's an option for you. I wonder if there's a way to embed that more in maybe your seminary experience or I know they've been talking about getting some high school girls to try it out. You know, you really, I think there are other areas that need to be looked into to help more uh, Moros go into the teaching field, into Chinuch today, Kodesh and Anchol. I have Baruch Hashem quite a few daughters and they all belong in the classroom. All of them, each and every one are dynamite. None of them are. I... Yeah, it's a real chaval. One does some pullouts, and she was working with a special ed, and now she decided to to do the, the to use her degree, which she has. Another one is working along administ- in an administration in terms of the hanhala in a school, but to be in a classroom, they said today the demands and the um the salaries just the preparation it just doesn't work for I them it doesn't i i can't i as much as i want them there because i know that they they really are good but not at the expense of their bringing up their families and taking wow. what they need to yeah wow disappointing we should do a study just of your family you know <laughs> bring in Tomasora, interview all you guys see what it would take do like a focus group 
Yeah. Spells back into Chinuch. <laughs> okay, so you were in second grade teaching, enjoying it, and then where, where'd you go from there? Okay, so after that, I, I got engaged, I got married, and I went to Lakewood mm-hmm. and started to look for a job. And um, here I was coming from TAG, where I was humbly, if I could say it, I was a prize teacher. And I went and I started calling up some of the schools. There aren't, weren't that many, but I did. And they're like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and I was, dev- I was really, I was devastated. I couldn't understand. I said, what's going on here? And I realized Hashem is the Mechin Mitzadei Gover. You will end up where you're supposed to end up. And Hashem wanted me in deal where I was teaching there in the younger grades. And I stayed there for one year. And after that, I wanted something closer to home. So I was able to get a job in Bitzalel Hebrew Day School. Where what I was taught- that? That was a day school, the day school of Lakewood. Um, Rabbi Lazar was the principal there. And um, he had one opening. It was sixth, seventh, and eighth grade teaching Lashon. And I said, I'll take it. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to do, but I said, I'll take it. And and then and when I, I was there for maybe it was two years or so, after that, I w- took, uh, I saw that it just the pressure. I sound like my kids probably, but the, the keeping up with the schedule and being out by a certain time in the morning and the preparation. Um, and what I was coming home with after paying a babysitter, it just wasn't worthwhile for me. I had young children. It's like, does that be- have been true if you were teaching second grade in tag also? Was it unique to your role in Batsalo? I don't know if I would have as quickly decided to leave because I would have, I enjoyed teaching second grade much more than teaching Lashon. But the salaries were very, very low. And to have to be out in the morning and be in a school early after you have young children who need just their mommy and you're, you're taking care of them. It it just was very, very pressurizing and, and, and hard. So I I think that it could be Tag would have tried to accommodate me a little bit more. That's what I would think. But nevertheless, again, after a babysitter, what you come home with was so, so little. It was like, I'm killing myself for this? No. So I took a break for about two years. So two you years. taught Lashon. How, how did you, does you speak Hebrew? Is that? So I learned in Tag. I actually learned in Tag where it was Ivrit Bevrit. I, when I taught there, I had to speak Ivrit Bevrit. That, that's how I had to teach. And um, I could carry on a conversation with Israelis. I definitely need to brush up on it because I haven't done it in a long time. But even today, like when I go, to, when I speak to anyone who went to Tag in my, at my time, which is talking about a long time ago, we all say that we basically could speak Hebrew. We could go to Eretz Yisrael and we're very comfortable and we could have conversations. So, in, in retrospect, that's totally out of style, I think. I don't know. I don't know if that's, I don't know any schools that really do that from the more yeshiva-oriented schools. But do you think that's an important component of the curriculum? So it's interesting you're asking me that because I see and feel that I gained a lot from knowing Lashon and from being able to speak it. But there is a consideration that I enjoy Lashon Lashon HaKodesh. Don't ask me about French. Don't ask me about Spanish. It doesn't pull me, but Lashon HaKodesh does. And Lashon in general, which is different, you know, conversational Hebrew and Hebrew is different. But um, I do enjoy it and it gives me, I, I like it. And I feel that though, that being that I realize I have a pull into the language, not all children do. So it has to be taken into consideration when teaching Ivrit Bivrit, watching the children, seeing are they able to absorb it or not. Do you feel it helped you learn Torah better? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It definitely did. But I will tell you that I still have to work at it. It's not like, oh, I'm an Israeli and I could just read a Rashi and read a, mm. a Tzfila or a Ramban and say, oh, I got it. I, I would have, Sometimes I have to read it a few times and I have to go slow. And, and that's okay because I have the tools and I have the understanding for it. If you were making a school today, the reason mm-hmm. I'm so interested in this is our school is sort of at a crossroads with regard to Ivrit. We used to have a lot of Ivrit. When the school was founded, it was trying to attract a broader clientele, I guess. And now it's a little more yeshiva-oriented. So we're sort of like shifting on our ivrit and trying to analyze it. And so I wonder, if you were starting a school today, 
and there was no political implications. It was purely educational. Would you teach Ivrit Bevrit? So it's it's something actually that I did think about. I I, I do feel that if Ivrit is taught from the preschool, from the time that the children come into the school, and you start with conversational Hebrew, put this away, cut, cut, use your scissors to cut, pick up, raise your right hand for Shema, and you speak in Hebrew, that is a time when the children will not fight it as much. They will be able to absorb the language more, and they will start to get a very good foundation. I also feel that if there would be transparency between what's happening in Lashon in the elementary grades, for example, if there are high-frequency words that are used in Chumash, and you're talking, uh, let's go into Lechacha, where you have Eretz, and you'll have Av, but you'll have verbs like Linsoa and Laleches, you know, Halach and, and Nasa. If you could take those words and create, this is like a, a dream a little bit of mine, create a unit on transportation, on when it comes to Vayera, you would do something on hospitals, taking mm. and using the words, you're not talking about, it has to be done right and thought out clearly, but taking the words from the Parsha and saying, okay, we're learning about how Avram Avinu didn't feel well and he had to sit and he had, and take those Shorashim or the high frequency words that were in it and create a unit that is more, quote, conversational so that will the words resonate with the, the children. You do that while they're simultaneously learning that parsha with similar words, verbs, and high-frequency words, the children will absorb it better. But you need a whole system, and it needs to be really thought out. But yeah. I do think there'll be success there. I think part of it is a lot of our teachers don't have such strong tfisa in the language and so it's very hard for them. Like if the teachers know Ivrit, it's easy to integrate and it comes sort of natural. There's a Rebbe in Atlanta, a second grade Rebbe, Rabbi Hiller, amazing Rebbe, and he throws Ivrit in. By the end, the kids basically are doing most classroom functions with Ivrit, but they, they lose it by fifth grade yeah, or even fourth grade. But um, because he's so strong, he speaks a perfect Hebrew, he's able to integrate it very easily. And I think that's also part of the challenge. Yeah, it is. It's a big challenge. Also, there, like when it comes to the language, I also feel that we love and it's great to get an Israeli teacher who teaches, you know, Ivrit Bivrit. They know the language, but they become sometimes, not always, but they, they, because maybe of their comfort level, I'm not sure exactly why, but they know Ivrit Bivrit and they will not hear of it another way, even if a child is really struggling. What I have found in, in my career in Chinuch is when I would give teachers training and I would have Israeli teachers and I would speak in English, I would give a workbook, a teacher edition that's in English, they would inevitably say to me, can you please translate it into Hebrew for us? I'm like, oh, Mama Lashon is Mama Lashon. There's a comfort right. level. Right. Which, you know, and, and that brings us into Tfila where that would be different. That would be English in terms of giving over the, the feeling for Tfila and getting the children to connect. There are just too many processes that a child has to go through till they finally will understand it if they have to do the Lashon part, that Lashon bit. But more than that is then in Tfila, Hashem says, you have to dive in from your heart. And if davening from your heart means that you're going to speak to me in your own words, I accept it. It's good. So tefillah is a whole different subject, if for lack of a better word or experience, when it comes to ivrit. We'll get to the tefillah, but yeah. I, hear, I hear what you're saying in terms of the processes, for sure. So you were you were leaving Batsal Academy because mm-hmm. of the conditions, and what did you do then? So after I took a two-year break, I actually went into real estate. Mm, wow. Yeah. Real estate. I would not have yeah. guessed that. <laughs> not residential. And um, basically... What, what did you do? Yeah. So basically, I was sending up people, brokering to set them up to see apartments and to hopefully they should like it and then rent it. And I set up... I didn't show them the apartments. The supers would show them the apartments. So I was the go-between explaining and finding them what they were looking for. Got it. Um, I was able to do it from home. It was definitely much more lucrative than going out to teach. And I said, and it, it was something that I did so I could help support my husband while he was learning. Right. 
but it was tense after a little, after, you know, the initial excitement wore off of doing something in the house and I'm also bringing in a little bit of a better salary. I found that it got to a point that every time the phone rang, my kids were getting older, Baruch Hashem, the family was growing. I'm like, the phone's ringing and maybe it's someone who wants an apartment. And I'm, the kids are knocking at one o'clock in the afternoon, not at three, four o'clock, but coming into the house with all their, you know, all their arts and crafts and like, where do I put myself? Like, how do I go? And, and my nature, I found myself, I knew my children were priority, but I'm like, I really have to get to the phone. So it got uh, to that I wasn't enjoying it that much. Uh, okay, so I hope you made it back. I know you made it back to Chinuch. So yeah. what was your path back? At, at a certain point, my husband was offered a position in, in a yeshiva here. He he got to Stella, and I moved back to Farakaway. Hmm. And for the first year, I still did the rentals. I still worked in the real estate and it was really getting to a point, Baruch Hashem, the family was growing and it just was not working for me. Besides, I didn't have the Sipo Kanefesh and there were more opportunities in Farakaway for teaching. So I said, I think I would rather right now have a job where I have hours and I'll have days off and and I, I think that will work better for the family. And I actually went back and decided to go to Hal hmm. in Long Beach at that time. I was there for about 10 years, teaching third grade and then junior high school. Wow. It was it was very nice. I have a great midwinter. <laughs> That's one of the reasons that pulled me. They have off January 1st, you know, like which not all schools do. And it was able to give me an opportunity that I was off when my children were not off. Mm. feel that I could re-energize and refocus on what I need to do because I have some breathing space. While when my kids were off and I was teaching, I did take off. And I had that, you know, ability to say today I'm going to take off. And it wasn't off. It was like maybe one one day in midwinter when they were off, I would stay till the 12 o'clock and then we would go out in the afternoon and then overnight we would go to Lakewood or whatever it was and, and then the next day do something a full day. So That's amazing. Was- we sometimes underestimate how important it is for teachers to have those kind of breaks, even though they only teach 180 days a year out of 365, but the other days are busy. They're Shabbos, Yontif, uh, summer jobs. I mean, there's very few down days in a, in a mechanic's life, so... Very much so, especially the women. Like for the the men, when they're not in yeshiva, so they have their responsibilities that they have to take care of. But for the women, most of us are wives and mothers. And um, the the job of being in tune with, which is our priority, taking care of our homes and our families really is ongoing. So you have to juggle it when you're teaching too. You have a night or you have a PTA at night or you have the orientation at night and you have to go out and your kids need you. I remember like I have to be in school, Baruch Hashem, the schools that I would, that help. And then I went to Shalamis afterwards. They let me come in 15 minutes late, which I, there's a lot, whatever. They were very kind to me and they let me, and I'm very grateful for them because they made it doable for me. But I will tell you that, you know, we are not Mechoyev in Mitzvah Shazman Grama, you know, Mitzvah Sasei Shazman Grama. When I had to be in a place and answer, be there by nine o'clock or a quarter to nine, I was backing out of the driveway sometimes. Once or twice, I banked into a car because, no, I that pressure that I had to be there while I have a kid inside my house who needs their shoe tied or they can't find, they need another mitzvah note. And how many times I tell you to have well, everything ready for yourself the night before, but it doesn't always happen that way. So it is for a woman who is a Mora, there are a lot of different types of challenges and that vacation is crucial, is really critical for her. We've been thinking here of how to make the experience for Mora's better, you know, because like every good Jewish day school in America, we're struggling to find the best teachers and keep them. And then one of the ideas the preschool came up with was to allow them to stay in aftercare, you know, which is from two to four on an ongo- like on a rotating basis. So they have, you know, once a- I don't know exactly how often it is, but every once in a while, two hours where their kids are taken care of and they're off. And that was like a perk we could give our teachers that really is really helpful. So. That is phenomenal. Yeah, that is fantastic. Sure. That is fun. You do have that in your school? Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Maybe I should move. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's just fantastic. Okay. I, I, you know, like I always feel if there's an orientation night where the mother has to go out, send supper. Right. Send supper. The relief that the mother knows that day she doesn't have to worry about supper and coming in is also very helpful. But there are ways of doing it. And call a vote to you and, and your school for doing that. That's amazing. I'd love to take credit. It's totally the ladies who run the who run that part of the program who get credit. But I, I got the credit for saying, yeah, that's a good idea. So <laughs> I'll take it. Okay. But wonderful. I'm curious about training. I know how is a professional school and they probably very much value training. I assume until this point in your career, you had very little training, formal training, because the schools you were in prior wasn't part of the deal. Did you get formal training at some point? And did you think that was important or helpful? I did not. I did not. And um, would it have been helpful? I'm sure. I'm sure I would have gained. But I'll tell you like this. Either have it or you don't. And um you have to get into the classroom and see, see, you know, if it pulls you in. You can't classroom management and structuring the, you know, your day and, and planning things out. I do have to say that Mrs. Hyman Adav was an excellent mechanechas in terms of training in her teachers. Um, so that was definitely very helpful. And otherwise, you know, I, I see teachers who've gone through the the more formal educations that definitely could help sometimes with salaries. But like I said, you either have it or you don't. And yeah. if the school wants you badly enough, they, they will try to accommodate you. So Baruch Hashem. Uh, since this is my podcast, I'm allowed to jump in with the following comments that okay. I was a teacher who had a certain amount of natural talent. Thank God. When I was a ninth grade rabbi, I went in with no training. And I was able to participate in Tormasaurus principal training while I was a Rebbe. And the, mm. the principal training is focused on how could a principal help their teachers be more effective. So essentially, there's a training element that they're training the principals to train the teachers. But because of that, I was able to experience that training as a teacher, which is sort of a unique perspective. And for me, it was transformative. Mm. So I would just put out there that for all of our impressionable listeners, that even for the, in my opinion, even for those very talented people, you know, obviously it's better to have natural talent. And if I had to choose between someone with natural talent with no training and someone with no natural talent and training, I would take the person with the natural talent 10 times over, over the other. But I think there are things that you could learn about special ed, about uh, engagement practices, about best testing. There's just a lot of different things out there that I'm sure you learned along the way also. Yeah, definitely, definitely. There's what there's a lot to gain, and and you gain also a network, which yeah. is also important. Right, right. A professional environment. Okay, how was it? Ten years. What grade were you teaching in up? I was teaching third grade, and I was also doing junior high school after. Uh, I maybe maybe it was seven years teaching. How did you uh, compare those ages? So it was very, um, very interesting. I taught Torah Shabbat Alpeh in Halb. I loved it. It was really Pirkeiavos. It was Carbonos. It was very, very fascinating and interesting. But I missed the second grade. I missed the third grade. Somehow when you're in the younger grades, you know, we're all human and you could just be yourself. You could dance, you could sing, you could jump, you could cry. If I'm going to start crying in the seventh, eighth grade, they'll look at me like Mora lost her, her rocker. You know, or I have to even bring, maybe they won't. And they'll say Mora really means what she's saying, but you have to get yourself to that point to be very right. comfortable. Right. So I, I did a miss that, but I also missed found very, what I found very challenging was that when you are teaching four classes per morning and you have 45 minutes for every class, by the time you finish taking attendance, even if it takes three, four minutes and everyone gets settled down and open up your Navi or, or whatever it was that we were learning, you are left with so little time that you feel you must, must teach the subject matter. And to connect to the children, that connection, that Kesha just wasn't there like in the younger right. kids. The Kesha Probably wasn't like there. emotionally exhausting or yeah. to go to switch and people and you. It's just a lot to keep your mind on. It, it was, it was, even though like still today, like I could meet some of my students when I, I go to um, Cedarhurst and they're walking down the street and they will remember things that I told them cool. from junior high school and also from the elementary school, very much so. Even it's interesting when I taught in elementary school um, in the third grade Shimon Esrei, so I 
I felt that it's important to teach Hebrew English. Like when saying, Baruch Atah Hashem, you are the source of everything. That's how I should teach it. They should say the English thinking in my mind that every, you know, at some point in their life, when they're ready to really concentrate on what they're saying, they will have the English at their fingertips. So um, I asked Rabbi Shmuel Kamenetsky, can I? And he said, yes. He said, mm-hmm. I can. Yeah. So that's how I taught it. So I had kids come over to me. Some of the students, I'll meet them and say, Mora, I remember, I remember. And, and it was, yeah. So that was, um, that was special, but that Kesher is different. It's different with the children and with the parents too. Okay. And then you went to Shalamis. Then I went to Shalamis. I went back to second grade there where I did Haskalas Chumash. And again, I loved it. And they were wonderful. Um, they were wonderful to me. They let me come. And also that 15 minutes late, they were very accommodating. At that point, I had a much larger family <laughs> and uh, Baruch Hashem. And, um, Do you feel so- there's a big difference between second grade and third grade? Yeah. Really? It, wow. Yeah. Yeah. The, the critical thinking skills, the ability to write quickly, to read better, that all affects what you're teaching, how you're teaching it, and the amount that you're teaching. They're a little bit more mature, you know, and uh, but both of them were, were just fantastic experiences. They're still young enough that I could dance as much as I want. Good, good. <laughs> okay, so now you are, I lost track, but you're a good eight, 15 to 20 years into your career here. You've right. taught in a number of schools. What happens next? So the next thing was very interesting. At that point, my third daughter was getting married. And you know, you commit. (laughs) You don't know how it's going to happen, but you commit and you trust in Hashem. And Hashem was very kind and good to us. And after Sukkot, which is when she she got married, we were approached by a principal that I worked with in Hal that there's a, it's called COJDS, the Consortium of Jewish Day Schools, and they're looking for someone to write assessments on based on Lashon Kodesh skills in the lower grades. Because principals don't feel that after the children are learning Chumash from year to year, that the children can still independently learn Chumash. They don't know what's happening in the classroom, what skills they know, what they don't know. Can I help them? So he remembered that I did create assessments for my students that were not non-pressurizing. In other words, they were like coloring sheets. They were activities for them, which in this day and age, also taking into consideration what our parents we have to take everything into consideration. Parents don't want their children under so as much pressure as they used to be under. For whatever reasons it is, those that seems to be a fact. They don't want to work them as hard, and but you need to give them some kind of assessment. So when I created these fun page assessment assessments, um, Rabbi Fogel remembered them, and he said the Consortium of Jewish Day Schools they're looking for somebody to create this. Would you be interested? And and while I was teaching in Shalamis. They were also very helpful to me and like they gave me the special towards the end of the day. So I was once a week able to leave a little bit earlier. And I, for one year, I went around to three different schools going over what is happening in the classroom in the younger grades in terms of what skills are being taught for Chumash. So at that point, I, for about the next 10 years, worked for the consortium. I was re- really self-employed, but the, I was working with them and I... um while you were teaching or you dropped the teaching? No, for the first two years, I was still, for the first year, I was definitely, well, I was teaching. I was definitely teaching. And then yeah. for nine years, you weren't teaching. Correct. That's wow. when I went out of the classroom. Wow. I couldn't do both. It wasn't possible. You know, this, there was a program that, um, that I created called La Havanula Haskell, wow. which is a Chumash program that doesn't, take away from the the Musar Haskells and from from understanding the if you want to call it a storyline and what it is that we could learn from what messages we could glean from from the parashios being taught in Chumash in the classroom. But in addition to that, there was a systematic way to teach the skills and to consistently reinforce it. So it was a man You are the founder you are the writer of Lahav and Lahaskell? Yeah, yeah. Wow, I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't know? I did not know. Now that we're talking, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, I remember that name, but I didn't connect it till now. Wow, that's quite an impressive thing. That deserves its own podcast. (laughs) What did you learn from going to the different schools? Like, did you find great disparity between the different schools or or is pretty much people doing the same thing? Or like, what did that look like to you when you got to view it more broadly? 
So it was very interesting. One of the things that I saw was that nobody knows what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Plain and simple. Everyone was trying their best. You could learn the Shoresh Amar every single year. You know, like everyone was doing whatever they wanted. No system. I love that sound bite. Don't worry. I will not. (laughs) Everyone's trying their best. (laughs) Really, really. But when it comes down to it, like I look back at the schools when the, when the Basiaco started or let's specifically the day schools. I say the goal was get them off the streets and out of the public schools. Right. Now we're at a different, we're at a different point. Right. But, um, the truth is, is after I went around seeing how the skills and what was happening and just give, giving out skill sheets to the teachers to teach, I approached the consortium. I said, this is not making sense. Mm. The teachers, it's like we're telling them they're going to be assessed on skills, but they don't know when to teach the skills. They don't understand They don't understand the the mapike at the end of a word. They don't understand an enu segal nun vav at the end of a word. I said, it's like asking, and then we come to them and say, we're assessing you, and they get very defensive. I said, that's not the way, it's, it just doesn't make sense to do that. And it's not going to get them on board. And can, would you be okay if I try to create a system in terms of teaching Chumash through the Psukim, and then when and where to add which so, skills? Great. So we didn't know what would happen. And at that point, there was uh, the one, you know, the, I, I worked for somebody who said, uh, give it a try. And oh. Um, that's, and then, and then Baruch Hashem, you see what happens. Yeah, I mean, how many schools? Like 200 schools use it or something? More, more. Wow. It's translated. Yeah, Baruch Hashem, you know, yeah. No, it's yeah. a big, very successful program. Okay, we're still far from Tefillah. We're getting there. We're getting, <laughs> we're getting there. there, yeah. So you're working 10 years, well, now you're nine years out of the classroom. Now you didn't have that problem working from home, I guess, because your kids were older, they weren't coming in with their, Arts and crafts projects, right? You're able to focus and. No, they were. They were. <laughs> I had the younger ones doing that, but it was, it was very doable because I took full time help, which I never had. Wow. And I had to. That was the only way to survive. Also, I have this thing, you know, once you have marrieds, I want them to be able to come to my house whenever they need or want. Wonderful. So I like to have the guest room ready all at all times and I needed help. Okay. So. I took the cleaning help and then I also still had younger children. Wow. My, my, I had a six week old when my oldest got engaged. Oh, wow. Wonderful. So Baruch Hashem, we were quite busy, but <laughs> the juggling was better and it okay. was more doable. And I, I had a Jewish babysitter who, um, I was that personally, thank you, Hashem. I was mapped on all the years that the children should have. If I have to be, have to have a babysitter, she has to be Yiddish. Sometimes it could work out, sometimes not. But like I said, it. I, I thank Hakadosh Baruch Hu for that, and um, she was very helpful to me too. So with all that in mind, I went into the schools. I did the Lahavanula Haskell. It was more doable. I did stop teaching because it couldn't do both at the same time. And then what happened was, was as I went through the schools and it was establishing relationships with teachers, with administrators, with principals and with parents, because parents would call me and say, you don't know what you did for my child. Because even if, let's say, a child struggles in Kriya, once they see the parts of a word, which was teaching them Lashon, they were able to understand the makeup of words that helped them read. Once they had high frequency words that were being reinforced consistently, it helped them see those words as they kept appearing, even if it had different prefixes and suffixes. So I had a relationship with a lot of different people from different backgrounds, different genders, different ages. And there was one thing that everybody kept saying to me, you know how you, what you did for Chumash and how you have made, it was a game changer. Could you please do that for tefillah? And across the board, like I said, it, Whatever background, gender, type of school, Shomer Shabbos, not, they were like, we do the tefillah every single day from year to year. And yet when the children leave school, I don't know if they know what they're doing. They don't want to dive in. Not just when they leave school, while they're in school, they don't enjoy it. It's a pain. It's a chore. They want to get it over with. In the younger grades, it's exciting because, oh, we have a sitter. We had a party. Right. They really understand the depth of what the gift of tefillah is. And one thing's for sure, when the kids are going to be leaving school, I don't know how many of them will open up a chumash, but I do know and everyone knows that they will pray at some point. They're going to want to daven and need to daven if it's out of 
you know, happiness or if out of challenges that people are, are faced with. So I keep hearing tefillah, 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 and I wasn't sure what to do. And then I actually turned a nice number. I had a birthday and I said, this is it. You either do it now or it's not going to happen. So I left COJDS and said, I don't know how, Hashem, please help me. I said, I don't know how, I don't have the time, I don't have the backing, and I don't know myself how to dab in properly. Honestly, it's it's something that I always yearned for, and I wanted to have that connection, but I I was really clueless. Hmm. Um, and and that is a little painful. It, it, it was, it was, and it's uh, knowing that I'm doing this every single day, but I'm not exactly sure what I'm doing. But I knew that I had to do it and it's the right thing to do. And I was speaking to Hashem. It's not like it was totally um, without any feeling or relationship, but it wasn't anywhere as near what I understood it should be or could be. So with all that in mind, I said, time to jump in and try to be a Nachshon and see what you could do with tefillah. And that's wow. how it was born. Wow. Good for you. That's inspiring. Wow. Wow. Okay. So what'd you do? How'd you even start? I assume you you uh, looked around or asked Shilas or Aitzas. I don't know. What'd you do? So I I, I davened. <laughs> the first thing I davened, and then it was it was really Hashem led me to Pathways to Prayer, which I use on the Yamim No Ram, which is by Rav Meir Birnbaum. And at the end of his sefer, which I never ever noticed, there are fifty ways to concentrate in tefillah. It used to be like ten. I guess okay. 50. Okay. <laughs> so he brought in 50 ways and said, ooh, okay, even if you think you know Lashon, you don't know Lashon, and you, you can't start looking into hundreds of different sperm. It was right there at my fingertips. And he brought in a whole bunch of different ways to have Kavana. And one of the ways that he brought down was the Ramba that talked mm-hmm. about how to remove distractions, how to focus in, and what you should be thinking about, and how to feel. So as I was reading it, Hashem put into my mind, stop think, feel. Three words that are trigger words or encapsulates the idea of a different skill set that's needed for Kavana and Tefillah. And one of the real goals of Anit Tefillah is to bring in that emotional element, to make it the moment that the children should be very, very present in the moment and realize what they're doing and use the stop, think, feel method to be able to connect and to to experience tefillah in a joyful way, in a meaningful way. Yeah, it, it really was something extraordinary. And what, what I did was take the stop, think, feel approach. And the main thing where the stop, think, feel approach came in was based on the Rambam saying that if you, Kate Satya Kavana, how do you want to have Kavana? You have to prepare your mind before beginning to daven. So one of the goals that that, that Anit Fila has is that the children should be trained from the very, very beginning, from nursery into first grade, second grade, third grade, that before we begin davening, we think about Hashem. It's not like, okay, we're davening, we're saying a bracha, baracha ta Hashem, and then we're going to say barei priya eights. But the teachers train the children to know when I daven, I pause, and the Rambam says it could be for ma'at doesn't have to be for a long time, but that is part of tefillah. And he specifies, says, if you want, you must prepare. And Shulchan Aruch says, this is a halacha, which was based on Hilchos tefillah from the Rambam, that you have to prepare your mind. The, from what, what, How are you supposed to do that? So the Rambam says, you need to stop. That's the stop. And remove distractions that are machshavos, distracting thoughts that are in your mind. And we take the children through the skill set. We incorporate that stop think, feel into everything that we have and do. If it is the actual lessons on tefillah, if it's the Hachana workbooks that teach you the value of, te- of, of tefillah, where it comes from, or if it's the actual tefillah itself, Adon Alam, and we incorporate that stop to remove distractions and focus. And the Rambam continues and says, and if you want to prepare your mind, you need to think. And he says, you have to think, visualize, you have to see yourself as if you're actually standing before the Shekhinah. So we say you have to think about and or the translation, because other Mepharshim say that you need to, the best way to have Kavan is by thinking of the translation. 
And then the third piece for the preparation is once you, which the Rambam says, once you are focused and you remove distractions from your mind and you're very present in the moment, you realize that you're standing before Hashem, and then you're going to be able to daven with feeling. So that's the stop, think, feel approach that's incorporated into the whole Anit Feel program. And we, we, in our teacher trainings, we talk about how to use these, uh, these important skill sets and use the stop, think, feel, not just for its fila, but to talk about Hashem and have the children feel his presence throughout the day in other subjects, in other activities that are happening. We incorporate a daily stop, think, feel into your plan books for tefillah and then also for when you are doing another subject or activity during the day. Wow. It is quite amazing. It's a real work. It's, it's a, on on a personal level, of course, it's a work of uh, a labor of love from my end, but it takes time. It's not something a, that the teachers necessarily, some are, and, and everyone is trying and everyone is doing their own thing, which is similar to what I found in Chumash. If we really want to inculcate within our children that fervor and that feeling, we have to give them a set basic system that they could use that still has flexibility because feel is very personal. So you're going to have some children will like to point and some people will say, I can't. And some people will, will just say, I have to close my eyes when I dive and that helps me have Kavana. So depending on the grade level, depending on your students, depending on you, you have to know that if the children, to that, for them to really connect, you have to let the neshama, who has its own style and pull, pull be pulled into tefillah in a personal way. So you have to give them space for that so that they will really connect to it personally. What grade does it start in? So it really starts in the year that the children receive their siddur with a hachana tefillah workbook, teaching them, a, the greatness of Hashem, talking about Hashem. And then also we have within that workbook, the halachos for a siddur, but we introduce the staff thing feel there. That's where we introduce the So like first grade, I guess, is not first or second. Probably. Yeah, you know, we've had some consultants do this also. It's very pictorial. There are songs, there are hands-on activities and crafts, arts and crafts, things for them to wow. do. How much time is it? So I would say, you know, everything has a scope and sequence to it. And I'm trying to think how many lessons are in this hachana, maybe about 18 or 20. And we say to do it once or twice a week. It depends on, again, you can map it out according to how you feel your your time frame allows. It depends what's going on in your school. But really, the ideal way is this hachana litzfila workbook be used before the children get their siddur so that they have an awareness and they're talking about Hashem more and you are also learning the halachos when they get their siddur and then you start, then you go into Moda'ani. And what grade does it go through? So right now, actually, you have it pretty much going through third and fourth because every year we try to increase our material so that every grade will have something to do with tefillah, stop, think, feel preparing your mind. The idea is, is that there needs to be a system and it isn't going to be just one teacher on his or her own doing it. It will definitely make an impact if we have, if you have one teacher and sometimes you have a teacher that could wake up the students and stir their neshamos so that they really do connect and they will remember it forever because once a neshama experiences purity, kedusha, MS connection, they will want to come back to it. But with a system in place and it's reinforced from year to year, it gets into the children in such a way that there is no other way to dive in. That this, this emotional piece and the skills that are needed are A, there and B is it takes time to develop these skills. The feel is about a relationship with Hashem. And if you want any relationship, it takes time to cultivate relationships. It doesn't just happen. And it changes from day to day, depending on what's doing in your life and on your frame of mind, too. So it's a whole, it's it's a lifelong experience, a lifelong journey. But if we can give the children the tools, the knowledge, the awareness of this is so valuable and why it's valuable, and be able to connect to tefillah formally and informally, we have not just given them the gift for life, we have opened up doors for them that they would could never have if not for davening the way and experiencing it the way we're really supposed to. Really beautiful. Did you have to ask any shilas or get a dracha about any sensitive points or 
issues that came up? So it's interesting. When I did have Shilas or anything sensitive, I did ask Ripshmol Kamenetsky, my husband's Rosh Yeshiva, the, the, my, my Shilas that I had. And everything that otherwise is, I, I showed even the workbooks and, and the materials to, to the Rosh Yeshiva. And mm-hmm. he was, he was, he, he just couldn't get over it. This mm-hmm. was before I started. I actually got into schools. Everything has a source, and then the editor and is a, t- a tremendous Talmud Chacham who reviews everything. He's very medactic on how things are given over. I personally, I have, it's a pachad for me to give over these concepts of tefillah. It's, it has to be 100% accurate. It, you're not talking about, this is like a whole different realm. We're talking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu and how he runs the world and, and us having the ability to ask him for things, to yeah. thank him for things. So it is a big responsibility. And I, I will tell you that every single time I sit down, the pachad doesn't go away from me. It's there. It's there. And I dive in that everything should be done well. And like I said, for the Shilohs, I asked Reb Shmuel Kamenetsky. And they weren't like, it wasn't like I was in touch with them every single day. But when certain sensitive things or absolutely I didn't know what to do, like even we were talking about that, how could we get the children to connect to the translation of the word? So it's brought down to, to visualize. You should visualize the word. You say that Hashem, you visualize yourself resting in bed and you visualize yourself getting up from bed. So if you do that, so that will help you connect with see yourself sitting in the kitchen on the chair. I said, but what are you supposed to do when you say Hashem's name? You can't visualize HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So that was something I asked. And he said, say, think that he's the Borei Olam. That's what you should visualize in your mind, that think of the world that he created and he created all of that. So I have asked and everything, like I said, has a source. And it's interesting because when a few years ago, when we started the program, Someone, um, I was at an expo and someone from the Hasidic Shevelt came over and saw the program. She's like, this has to be in every single type of Jew. If you're affiliated, if you're not, if you're Sephardi, if you're Hasidic, if you're Lubavitch, Yeshivish, everyone's saying, we need this. We need this. And someone from this Hasidic Shevelt said, we need it in the Yiddish speaking world. Can we translate it? And we worked out with her. We got an excellent translator, an excellent editor. Also, Yuri Shayim. Very, very crucial. We're Baruch Hashem in a lot of um, Yiddish-speaking girls' schools right now. And one of the things that they saw was the Makar, that everything had a Makar. So um, Baruch Hashem, it's, it's, it's pulling in a lot, a lot of schools from all different backgrounds. And um, we started with five schools the first year. The next year was 14. Every year we went up a little bit. Last year was about 80. And Baruch Hashem, this year we have over 110. May it continue. Wow. And what's your vision? What do you want to, what's your goal? I'm not sure. Honestly, I'm not sure. And really, I don't think that's, that's the, I, I wish I could give a better answer. It would give me more clarity. What's happening is, is that everybody's, I'm getting calls from all age groups. We need something for junior high school. We need something for high school. The kids just, aren't connecting what can you create for us for there really the ideal way is if you go from the bottom up and you keep establishing from the get-go the connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu through what the Rambam says through the preparation piece through the stop think feel that when you're teaching them and you teach them how to stop think feel so when they're saying the words like I said, like, you catch yourself and say, oh, one second, one second. I want to focus. I want Afghavana. Let me stop. I have to remove distractions from thoughts from my mind. And I have to really focus. You know how you focus when there's a fire in the house? You know you have to get out. You are stay focused. We have to stay very, very focused. And then we think, okay, who, who am I standing before? And the translation of the words that will help bring them into feeling when we say Rifa'enu, feeling the words modim. But even when it comes to praising Hakadosh Baruch Hu, very often it's hard because we have a hard time understanding the greatness of all that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us and, and the feeling of, I have to thank you for everything. So even within our program the materials that we have will go into how what it means to praise and why you would want to praise someone and give examples to help them have that experience of oh that's what it means to praise i want to do that for hashem because and we don't just leave it you know to their devices well let's stop think feel about that so 
you know, that is something that if you get from the bottom up and you build on it, that's the way we daven. Even today when I daven, sometimes I'll say, okay, start davening. And I have to remind myself, one second, prepare your mind. Before saying Moldani, prepare your mind. I have to, it's not, if, if only I could have had that from when I started to learn how to daven, even if there are parents who are listening to this podcast now, and I'm sure that there are, with your children, when you're sitting around the table, you're getting ready to say brachos, you're getting ready to say birkas amazon, either give over to the children and say, let's stop and think we're, we're right, we're standing before Hashem, we're right before Him. Oh, and if you can't, then you do it yourself and you you role model for the children. So right now, before I begin to bench, there's a halacha in Shulchan Aruch that says we need to think about Hashem and realize before whom we're standing. Bring them into the present. Make the moment count. That's all that matters at that point. It will transform the way you daven. Wow. I mean, no doubt there's value moving all the way up through 12th grade. And I hope, even though that's not your, your, your area that you're most connected to is the younger grades, but there's, there's certainly what to teach and continue to be makazic this throughout, you know, all the way up. Absolutely. And what's interesting also is that even um, Baruch Hashem had a lot of opportunities to speak to, to adults. And their response and the reaction, even twice I led recently to Hillam for, for the matzah in Eretz Yisrael. And before every capital, we spoke a little bit about Tfilah. The women were crying. They were crying. They had to bring out tissues. So I was like, I was like it, you know, there are ways to open up. We, we ha- and, and they're all like, I need this for myself. I need this for my children. So where it's heading, like I said, I really wish I could. I myself need a little clarity on that. And but we are just trying to build right now from grade to grade something to keep having this system always reinforced. The children feel it, stop, think, feel. They prepare their minds so they'll always have those tools set and ready to go. This yeah. is amazing. Uh, how do people find out more about it or contact you? Okay, so um, you can. Anitvila has a website. It's anitvila.org. Mm-hmm. Or you can email me at info, I-N-F-O, at ani, A-N-I-T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H, anitafila.org. But I just want to share one thing that really struck me that I saw in Reb Shimshon Pincus's Safer Gates of Prayer, Shari Batfila. And he brought down what Reb Chaim Vital said about 400 or so years ago. He's a Talmud of the Arizal. And he says that we are living in the days of Ikvasa de Mashiach. He said during the time of Chazal, the priority, the avoda of the day was Torah, was setting up times and structuring your day completely around Torah. And he said in Ikvasa Mashiach, the avoda of the day is, he said this hundreds of years ago, is tefillah. That, that's not to say that Torah isn't a priority because it's Talmud Torah connected Kulam. And he discusses that when it is, that is discussed in Rav Pinkins' Sefer, how to understand that. But what Rav Chaim Vital was saying was that, and he said it clearly, the only way that we will leave the Skalas is by calling out, connecting to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It is through Tfila. And the Avoda of today is Tfila. Just like Rosh Hashanah comes and the avoda of the day is shofar, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be learning. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be learning dafyomi. But the focus has to be more on tefillah. So if everyone could say, "I we know and realize that Mashiach is only going to come, the final geula, the matzav in Eretz Yisrael will only come to its ultimate geula end through tefillah, it doesn't matter who, what, when, where. Let's all try. Just say one more capital to to, to Just do one little, another extra line, something throughout the day, so that we start building up our tefillah even more than we've been doing in the past, so we can see the final geula bekarov biyameinu imirzashem. Well, thank you, Ms. Nussbaum. I could already feel. I can't wait till mincha. Unfortunately, I have like three hours to wait till I could dive in mincha. But you can dive without mincha. I could dive in just here in my exactly. office, right? Exactly. Yeah. I know it works. This is one of the most inspiring interviews I've had. And uh, so timely, as I said, with the Matzah of Narit Yisrael and our thoughts about tefillah. And I'm so thankful to you for what you, you committed your life to do to really make a difference. Besides all the things you did. Forget, we didn't even talk about the, the Alavin Alaska, which is like, oh, 
Matthias on its own, but uh, certainly with regard to Tefillah. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to hearing from anyone who's listening to to build, to connect, to, to do whatever we can together to strengthen Tefillah in the best way we can. Amen. I am hoping that you had a similar experience as I did and that right after I finished talking to Mrs. Nussbaum, I went and said some tefillos and looked forward to the next opportunity I had to say Shemona Esrei, because hearing her talk about tefillah, hearing her talk about the opportunity that tefillah is for all of us, is truly inspirational and something that I'm sure we all want to give over to our children. So I'm proud to say that we use her program at our school here in Houston, and I'm looking forward to it expanding and her continuing to grow her program all the way through adults because it is something that we all could benefit from. And she seems like the right person with the right balance of educational acumen, Yura Shemayim, experience, and insight to lead such a program. So I hope you enjoyed this. Always remember, sharing is caring. Rate us with five stars and send us to someone who might enjoy this. And of course, we're always interested in your comments, your questions, and your guest suggestions to chinuchtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much. This is your Achmiel Garfield wishing you a wonderful day.